Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies coming to you live right here from our studios in Daytona Beach, Florida. Good to have everyone here today on another glorious opportunity the Lord Jesus has given us to seek Him, to know Him, and to make Him known unto the world in which we live. If you're joining us for the very first time, this is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, which is a ministry of Raven Ministries International. If you want more information on Raven Ministries International, I encourage you to go to our website, which is located at www.biggrace.com, www.biggrace.com, and you can get more information on Raven Ministries International. We are here typically Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for an expository teaching on the Word of God. Uh, presently, we are in the midst of a study on the book of the Revelation or the unveiling of Jesus Christ. If you've not been with us in the past, we are going to be making those classes available to you on our website. Once again, biggrace.com. Click on Raven Institute. There's 26 of those up there right now of the 43 that we'll complete today. And we're working to getting those on there, uh, the rest of those on there just as soon as possible. But if you have not heard those first 26 lessons, go, go back in and you can download those absolutely free of charge in MP3 format. Uh, to your computer, your iPod, or however it would be that you'd want to, to listen to those. You can actually listen to them right there on the website as well. And kind of, it'll give you, really, I hope, a different perspective. While we do talk about uh, obvious events in regards to uh, biblical eschatology, the end times, and things that are going to be unfolding and be revealed, really the whole uh, gist of this teaching because it's the basis for this book, is to reveal Jesus Christ. And so uh, what you'll see in this, and I think a lot of times people are um, reluctant to get into this because of what it does reveal. Because while we have seen the mercy of God and uh, the grace and the love of God revealed uh, within the context of this, these passages, You'll also see that with, with holiness and righteousness, with truth, there's also the demand for judgment that comes as well. And I think sometimes we want to avoid the, the judgment side of Jesus, uh, not realizing that, that, uh, that, that holiness demands judgment. It, it demands some type of retribution for the fall of man. The, the cross has provided us a way out of that judgment uh, through faith in the blood of the, the, the sacrifice, which was the Son of the living God. But for those that reject it, there is a judgment that's coming. And we, we've been talking about that in this, in the unveiling of the revelation of Jesus. So once again, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Uh, if you have questions about... Uh, what we're talking about, if you have something that you'd like to, uh, to add to the discussion, be sure and send those questions, comments to raven at biggrace.com, R-A-V-E-N at biggrace.com. Two G's right in the middle, B-I-G-G-R-A-C-E.com. She's got it on the screen, making sure, making sure she didn't typo it. Uh, no, I was talking to a gentleman on the telephone from another state, uh, yesterday, a pastor, and he said he kept trying to contact us, and he, but he kept forgetting to put the second G. And I said, well, that wouldn't be big, big grace. It'd be a big race. And we, while we are in a race, that, that isn't the big one we're talking about. So go to BigGrace.com, Raven at BigGrace.com. Send your questions, comments. Also, if you have prayer requests, we'd love to lift up your prayer requests to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can send those to pray at BigGrace.com as well. And we, uh, we just believe that we have a God that is a God of, 
of, of restoration. He's a God of healing. He's a God of provision. He, he's a God that can do everything but fail. And we know if we agree as touching anything here on earth, we get an agreement in prayer that the same is done in heaven. And the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. So if you have prayer requests, send those in. Also, uh, just a little quick thing for you guys that are listening to us live. A lot of people do listen to us live or within a close proximity uh, to the, this time frame. And don't forget, uh, here in just about a month from now, what's the date today, Deb? The 21st. The 21st is today. On the uh, just a little bit, well, a, a month from yesterday, we're going to be taking teams, uh, 150 or more people, into the city of New Orleans to actually take and apply these words that are being taught to us. You know, it's interesting. I've been teaching in this Revelation now for, what, 43, 42 classes. Uh, I was in New Orleans this past week uh, uh, just getting some uh, preparatory work done for our big uh, uh, February outreach to Mardi Gras, which the dates on that are February 20th to the 24th, and talking to a young man on the streets that had a lot of questions. It was interesting, a bunch of the questions that he had for me were things that were just fresh on my mind from the study in the book of the Revelation. And so I began to take him to different places and show him the unveiling of Christ and some things of that nature. So we like to go and apply the Word of God into uh, into real life. And so I encourage you, if you'd like to be a part of that, uh, email me. I'm Pastor Troy, raven at biggrace.com. You send it to raven at biggrace.com. Say, hey, I'd like more information. Again, go to the website, biggrace.com. Click on Mardi Gras. If you can get there, we'll give you a place to stay. We'll feed you and be a part of a, a team that's fulfilling the dream of getting out there and preaching Jesus. And, and so go to the website. Check it out. We'd love to uh, have you a part of winning people into the kingdom. We believe that the, the harvest is plenteous. But the laborers are few. But we believe the Lord of the harvest, because of our prayers, is sending forth laborers into the harvest. Pastor Sam, right here in the studio, brother, I've been getting calls from people from across the nations. I've got a call this past week, uh, and you guys that are with me, some of the, the leaders, Pastor Terry and, and various ones that are here today. Uh, I got a Pastor Don. I uh, got a call from a gentleman up in, I believe it was Kentucky, uh, yesterday. And uh, he's been coming, uh, going to Mardi Gras for six years, but he wants to join our team. He said, listen, we just want to come, and we, we've watched you guys. We've seen it. We want to just come. We don't want to just come and, and stay there. We want to come and be a part of the team. We want to come submit to what's happening because we see something great's happening. They're bringing uh, 12 or 15 more people that have not been with us in the past. So I believe in our prayers that we've been praying, consecrating ourselves during the season of fasting. God send labors. We're seeing those labors. I've had calls from Ohio and Kentucky and Georgia, uh, uh, uh Texas and New Mexico, various places all across the United States. So come and be a part of that. We'd love you to be a part of winning some people into the kingdom. So let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Ask for his direction, his blessing, and just his revelation of himself as we get uh, deeper into this study uh, on the unveiling of Jesus Christ in chapter 12. So, Father, we just come today. Father, I'm excited. I'm excited about Jesus. I'm excited about who you are and what you're doing. Lord God, I'm excited about the opportunities that have been set before us, Lord God, in preparation for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Father, I, I don't have, I, I sit here today and I don't have a thing in the world, Lord God, to be concerned about, uh, because, uh, the, the, this world is not my home, Lord God. I'm just passing through. And Father, there's one that watches over me that neither sleeps nor slumbers. Lord God, while my, my, my pockets may be empty, Lord God, Father, my promises are not empty because my promises are in Christ Jesus and they are yes and amen. That, that Father, 
Father, that, that, that Lord God, that, that while outside uh, may be a little bit cold and chilly, Lord God, Father, my heart is warm today because of Christ in me, the hope of glory. Father, I thank you that there is a hope, Lord God, that makes not a shame, Lord God, that there is a, 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 a truth, Lord God, beyond the, the, the reason of this world, Lord God, that there is a, a promise and a blessing, Lord God, that cannot be grasped with human hands, Lord God, because it only dwells in, in human hearts. And so, Father, as we come today, Lord God, Father, I come expected. Lord God, I come as an individual, Lord God, that's not uh, blessed because of what I have. I, I'm blessed because of who has me, that, that you hold me, Lord God, uh, within the, the palm of your hand. You've inscribed me, Lord God, even upon the palms of your hands. And so, Father, we come today, Lord God, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Lord God, we come today as people that have been redeemed, that have been bought back, Lord God, from the curse of the law through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, Father, I thank you, Lord God, when I say that I'm the head and not the tail, Lord God, I'm not talking about that. I'm the most boisterous, or I'm out there, I've got the biggest church or the biggest ministry, Lord God. Father, I say that because I identify with Christ, Lord God, even in his suffering, Lord God, that I might be a partaker of his glory. And Father, I thank you today that my treasure, Lord God, is not in Bank of America or in Chase, Lord God, or in the stock market, but Lord God, I have a treasure laid up in heaven where moth and dust cannot corrupt and thieves cannot break through and steal, Lord God, because where my treasure is, my heart will be also. And so, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that I have the blessed opportunity to come and open the word of truth. Lord God, that word that will not pass away, that does not matter about who's being inaugurated, Lord God, that does not matter uh, what the, uh, the stock market says or, or what the, the political climate in the world is. It doesn't matter on who's invading who. That Father, that heaven and earth will pass away, but that word will not pass away. That it stands the test of time and there's not going to be one little jot or one tittle, Lord God, that doesn't come to pass, Lord God. Father, all those things are going to be completed in Christ Jesus. So, Father, Father, I thank you, Lord God, that the, the, the one, Lord God, who holds my future, Lord God, held my past, Lord God, and he holds my right now as well. So, Father, as we come, Father, we thank you that we're on the winning team, Lord God. We're on team Jesus today, Lord God, because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And as we abide in him, he abides in us, Lord God. So, Father, I thank you for my salvation, which is now nearer than when I first believed. I thank you, Lord God, that, that Father, there's things happening right now that the patriarchs and the matriarchs of old, Lord God, could only look, Lord God, forward to with a great longing and an aspiration towards those things. But Father, we get to see and behold and to live in this moment of time, Lord God, that's been reserved for this generation. And Father, I thank you, Lord God, that I see us as that generation that will not taste of death until they see the Son of God coming in His glory with His angels, Lord God. And so, Father, we thank you today. ask you to bless this time of fellowship in your Word. Father, we pray for those that have been sick in body, those that have been uh, uh, battling, Lord God, physical afflictions. Lord God, right here in the studio, Megan, Lord God, is Thanks, maybe she has strep or something of that nature. I curse that sickness off of that young woman right now in the name of Jesus. And I speak forth life and, and truth and power, Lord God, to come upon her right now. That you would touch her, Lord God, from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. Lord God, arrest every uh, every symptom, Lord God, every problem, any bacteria, any infection upon her body, Lord God. I declare by the cross of Calvary, Lord God, that that young woman's body is healed and she is made whole, Lord God. I come against that. Father, others that have been battling in sickness and in disease, Lord God, uh, Father, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that the healer, Lord God, would be in the house today, Lord God. Father, I believe that there's a healer in the house, and it's 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 not our doctor's appointment or our MRI, Lord God. It's not a CAT scan or an antibiotic, Lord God. It's the King of kings and the Lord of lords who sits upon a throne of glory, Lord God, whose hand is not shortened, and he's still making house calls, Lord God, to anybody that would ring him up, Lord God. He stands at the door and knocks, Lord God, not just to keep us from going to hell, Lord God, but to, to touch us right now, Lord God, that by his stripes we can be healed and delivered and set free.
free by the power of the blood of Jesus, Lord God. So we pray for the sick. Father, we pray for those that are in, facing some financial difficulties, Lord God. Here in this city, Lord God, here in other parts of the country, Lord God. Father, uh, especially I want to pray for those that are involved in ministry, Lord God, that, that this great uh, uh, obstacle so many times is this uh, financial crunch and crisis. It's, they're, they're, they're just constantly having to worry about, Lord God, different things that, uh, or whether this is going to get taken care of or that. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that right now, Lord God, that you would just break that stress and that worry and that concern, Lord God, whatever the terminology we want to use for it. Lord God, if we don't want to use any because we, we're too spiritual to say we're concerned. Father, what, whatever it is, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that you would just begin, Father, to, to break that curse that the enemy would try to, to, to send upon your people. Lord God, whether it's in this nation, Lord God, whether it's other parts of the world. Lord God, Father, we have people feeding the hungry that are going hungry to do it, Lord God. we got people that are trying to minister to the homeless that, that are on the verge of homelessness themselves, Lord God. Father, we got people that are, that, are, that are trying to preach the light, Lord God, into a darkened world that are sitting without electricity, Lord God. But Father, I believe that, that you said that you've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging for bread. Lord God, that you're able to supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I'm praying in Jesus' name, Lord God, as your people have been faithful, Lord God, that you would show your faithfulness to them, Lord God, that you would just bring provision, you would bring the necessary resources to do those things, Lord God, as we make this final push, Lord God, Father, into these end times that we're talking about here in the book of the Revelation. Lord God, Father, I pray for marriages and relationships, Lord God, that have been, uh, Father, uh, infiltrated by the adversary. Father, especially marriages, Lord God, because the Word says that what you've joined together, do not let any man put asunder. Father, we come against that those curses, Lord God, that would come to break up families, that would break up and separate husbands and wives, Lord God, that would try to bring a, a yoke of division upon them. Father, I declare in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that the marriages of your people, Lord God, are blessed and holy and righteous, Lord God, that you're just building a foundation of love and of power, Lord God, right now in the name of Jesus. And Father, just bless this time of teaching. Lord God, come and teach us. Father, I need your help, Lord God, and we need the voice of the Holy Spirit to speak to us. We want to search the Scriptures to see if these things are so. We want to study to show ourselves approved, Lord God, but we've got to have the mind of Christ, Lord God, to be able to get any type of level of understanding, Lord God, in your Word because of its height, its depth, its breadth, Lord God, and its power and its truth, Lord God. So, Lord God, to reveal your majesty, let, let the teacher, Lord God, who's the Holy Spirit, come and, and govern this time. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Once again, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Good to have you today. If you're just slipping in, this is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. And we are in the book of the Revelation, the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ to here. And we're in class 43, if you're taking notes and putting it up on the top of your paper. And as I stated yesterday, folks, uh, the 12th chapter of this unveiling of Jesus Christ is a return to that midpoint of the tribulation hour, which we had saw and talked about uh, a lot through chapter 6 through 11. But I want to tell you something. What changes at this point? And you're going to see a big change. As we begin to look at these uh, uh, verses 1 through 17 to chapter 12, is the perspective in which this time period is viewed, revealed, and uh, obviously discussed by us. You know, where in chapter 6 through 11 really dealt primarily uh, with these events from kind of the earthly or the human perspective. Now what we're about to do is we're about to look at things from a heavenly perspective. And, and you'll, what you're going to see is kind of the language and the scope. And, and all these things are kind of going to make a kind of a dramatic alteration from what we had looked at before. And folks, listen. We can look at, and we, we looked at in detail, we talked about chapter 11 and some of these uh, incredible things that were happening, and, and, and even going back to chapter 10, and, and all these calamities that were happening on earth. 
And sometimes, as far as we can see, is just our little sphere of influence, all those things that affect us. You know, there's some people that don't worry about thousands upon thousands of people, hundred and you know, nearly 200,000 people that are dying every day without the Lord Jesus Christ and going to hell. Uh, can't see that. People are not even bugged by that. They're not concerned with the over 4,000 children that are, that, are, that are ripped from their mother's wombs every day through this, this thing called abortion. Uh, people aren't concerned about that. Why? Because it's those little things that so consume people because of a misplaced perception and a perspective. And so uh, we, don't, we don't think about that, that hell is ever enlarging herself and her, 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 her mouth is, is never full, that people are being uh, tossed headlong into uh, an eternity without hope and salvation. Why? Because we got offended with our, our sister in the Lord and they looked at us wrong or, or somebody said something about us or, or, you know, we didn't get invited to, to go eat with this one or that person cut their eyes at me the wrong way or, or you know what, I didn't get that, that clothes I want or, or I'm going through a little thing and maybe I didn't get to pay that bill on time and I got a $3 late charge or I didn't get to watch my favorite show on cable because somebody came over at an opportune time. And so think about all these things that get us so stirred up. And we get so focused on, folks, you know what that is? That's the devil. And so if you're so consumed by your circumstances that you can't see what's happening from a heavenly perspective, uh, shame on you. Repent and believe the gospel. If you if you become uh, 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 so self-focused that we can't even pursue and have a passion for the things that are happening uh, uh, globally and what heaven sees. Folks, listen, heaven weeps for the lost and for the dying. You know what? Uh, as, as, as much as God is concerned, you know, whether or not you get that blue blouse or that, that orange blouse and whether or not you pay nine ninety five or eight ninety five, uh, you know what? Heaven is not losing any sleep over those things. It's not sitting on edge thinking, you know, I hope they pick the one that's 100% cotton rather than the poly blend. Now, come on, folks. Think about all those efforts that we put into these things that really uh, change our perspective. And so as we've looked at some of these, we've seen things from an earthly perspective. Earth is concerned with, with what grows. We're hugging trees and and worrying about fossil fuels and the, the effects on the environment. Folks, you know what the environment that heaven's affected by is the one that's happening in the hearts and minds of, of individuals. It's a spiritual environment. But when we become so fleshly minded, we miss out on that perspective. And so what John has brought us in the preceding chapters is really kind of a natural thing. We get so concerned with what's happening. Folks, listen, I could, I, a, an atomic bomb right now could fall and drop on my head. You know how much a really difference that's going to make me in eternity? Zero. Absolutely zero. Why? Because to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. You know what? I could go to my refrigerator and not see a thing in there. Big deal. I'll fast another 21 days. You know, it didn't kill me then. You know, give me 21 or 40. You know, big deal. So, folks, we've got to regain that God perspective, which I talk about all the time. Let's get to that point in the plan where we can see things. And that's what that's what John the Revelator is going to be doing right here in these 17 Verses. I don't mean to preach at you too much, but but maybe I do. Maybe we need to all hear that because I know I need to on a daily basis. And so, Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 through 17. I'm going to go ahead and read the context of that to you before we kind of dive into discussing each one of these verses. So we'll kind of have a perspective of where we're going. And it says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon was under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. Now look at this picture, folks. It's a little bit different than what we've been seeing. 
And it says, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and it did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, to, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared of God, uh, that they should feed her there two thousand a thousand two hundred and three score days, twelve hundred sixty days. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and they prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more for them in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceives the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of God, and the power of Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down. Somebody can say amen to that one. Which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. I want to back up just there a second because I'm not going to have time for this. It says the accuser of the brethren has been cast down, uh, which accused them before God day and night. Folks, you know what, you know what happens sometimes in your life when you begin to feel condemnation, you begin to feel uneasiness? What you're hearing, see, right now, the, the adversary does. He's, he has access. He can go and accuse you. He can accuse everything you're doing. He can go and nitpick you to pieces. And so when you find yourself in a, in a situation, this is kind of digressing just a little bit from this topic matter, but I think it's so important as we're touching on that. Uh, you need to remember this, and I'll touch it again probably tomorrow, is what we're seeing when the accuser of the brethren comes and he's trying to accuse us before God. If you're walking in righteousness towards God, you know what God says? I don't know what you're talking about. I've, I've cleansed those things. But when we've given a, our ear, we've inclined our ear to the adversary, what we do is we hear and we feel in the spirit, because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and, and principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places. What we hear and feel is the reverberation of those accusations. We do. And so what the enemy does is he takes that reverberation and he plants it in the heart of people. And you see that in Proverbs chapter, chapter 6. There's six things the Lord hates, and yea, seven are an, are, are an abomination unto him. And so that's sowing seeds of discord among the brethren. That is those that are swift to, 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 to mischief and to those that shed innocent blood. And so all of those things that, that, that are coming out of people's mouths to, to bring accusations against one another, what they're doing is they're aligning themselves with that reverberation that's been rejected in heaven. Because it's reject, those accusations are rejected of Christ, but they're so easily received of men. They're so easily received of the church. So I just want to bring that point out. Don't identify yourself with the devil by being an accuser of the brethren. And it says in verse 11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the, the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time, just three and a half years. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persuaded the woman which brought forth the man-child. He persecuted, not, not persuaded, but he persecuted the, the woman who brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of, great, of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and a half times from the face of the earth. Remember we told, said that that was 1260 days as well. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman. The earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. He was mad at the woman and went to make war with the remnant and of her seed, which, my prayer cut off right there, which, uh, where am I at? 
with, uh, with the remnant of her seed, which keeps the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Folks, here in chapter 12, not only do we see really things from that heavenly perspective of the midpoint, but what we're looking at really is the conflict of the ages. And so chapter, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 17, is not just totally just talking about those three and a half years from the midpoint to the end of the tribulation. But what you're seeing is an encapsulated look of, of the ages. And folks, listen, we sometimes think that the battle didn't start till we showed up. We really think that. We, we get so small in our, our perspective. But folks, what we're looking at is an age-long battle that we are just coming in really at the tail end of everything that's been happening. But from the time that, that God created man and, 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 and Satan fell, we talked about that in the book of Isaiah, there has been a battle that's been going on in the heavenly realm ever since those things. And so a lot of times we just get so, and that's what I'm talking about, we get so built up and enamored with our situation that woe is me, I can't fight anything until my situation's fixed. Folks, listen, if you're just getting into the game now and you just think that you're having trials and tribulation, you're, you're just about maybe 6,000 plus years late at this point. We need to get on the ball and recognize that this battle has been waged for, 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 for eons uh, ever since the fall of Satan when he was uh, cast out of heaven and he, and he fell to the earth along with a third of the angels. So we've got to realize this is a battle. And, but the, the battle has, has been won through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when it says that, that he was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world, he was already uh, giving us the, the victory plans for something that hadn't even really been manifested in our hearts and lives yet. So you've got to see that this is a, 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 the conflict of the ages. And so John, is what he's doing here, he's witnessing and he's recording these events in heaven that, that have happened in Daniel's 70th week. But he's showing also how those things have transpired even from the beginning. And so here's what we see today is that he is a... He's describing two great signs, and that's probably what we'll, we'll be able to kind of look at just today. And he's, when he's uh, revealing these two signs that we're going to see, he's unveiling really kind of the spiritual conflicts in, in, in both the, uh, the spiritual and in the physical realms. And so the first sign that we see right there, it says that uh, there's this woman, and there appeared a wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with sun, and a moon under her feet, and upon his head, her head was a crown of twelve stars. And so we see this woman, that she gives birth to this man-child, this male child, uh, who will rule the nations, and who's going to be caught up uh, uh, to the throne, to his throne, it says, uh, of God in heaven. So the first sign is the sign of this woman. And the second sign is of this great red dragon, which is going to pursue the woman, who gave birth to that child. So we get the first sign, the woman. The second sign that we're going to deal with is the sign of this great red dragon. So what we have here, folks, it's like I said, we've got a picture of this conflict that's been taken throughout the ages. Uh, between, really, put this down, because we're going to go back to Genesis all the way as we look at the, where this began. Because what we're seeing is the same events that are transpiring in the book of uh, the Revelation are the exact same things that happened back in Genesis. And so here we got is this, this, this picture of this great conflict, and it's between the descendants of Eve, put that down, and the descendants of Satan. It's a battle between the descendants of Eve and the descendants of Satan. Why, uh, why from the descendants of Eve? Why? Because she became the mother, the physical, fleshly mother of all creation. She was the first woman. And so anybody that's ever been born, that's came forth, were, uh, can trace all the way back to Eve's womb. And so, all the way back to Eve. And so, the conflict between the seed of woman, which would become the Messiah, and the seed of the serpent, which is sin or Satan, 
basically goes all the way back to Genesis 3, 15 and 16. And so we have the, the seed of Eve, which would bring forth Messiah, and we have the seed of Satan, which is sin, which is going to bring forth what? Antichrist. And so what's happened, though, and we've seen this, and we're going to get into this pretty much in detail today, is that Satan, from, from the get-go, has tried to prevent the Messiah's birth and, and the completion, really, of God's plan of, of redemption for mankind. Folks, think about this just for a second. And we don't ever put these things in, in perspective, I think. You know, from the time that, that Cain killed his brother, Abel, that was Satan's attempt to stop that. Why? Because Abel was righteous, and, and, and Satan knew, he didn't know specifics, but, but he knew that the, that the Messiah would eventually come forth in that incarnation. It was, it's no secret. It wasn't no secret in, in, in heaven. Why? Because he was slain before the foundations of the world. It had to happen. And so Satan, from the get-go, what's he doing? He's putting uh, brother against brother, uh, father against son, whatever he can do to infiltrate or to somehow uh, mingle his seed with the seed of man. So when, when, when Cain killed Abel, that was Satan's first attempt to circumvent the plan of God, whereas the seed of woman would bring forth that Messiah. His very first attempt uh, upon mankind. So here what we see, though, is John is reveals kind of that great spiritual dimension of this age-old conflict, which is about to enter into, in chapter 12, its final act. And so John records basically the conclusion of events, which began, once again, in the Garden of Eden at the fall of man. And so Satan, who tempted Adam and Eve, and what he ended up doing there, now think about this. Satan was cast out of heaven, Right? He was cast down to the earth. But when he tempted Adam and Eve and they fell, he regained access to heaven. Not as a, as a, as a, as a person in it, but he regained access where he could come and accuse the brethren day and night. Prior to that point, he'd been kicked out of heaven. And so as that prince and the power of the air within that dimension, he had no access into heaven. And so what did he always want? He always wanted access back into that place that, that he had been exiled from. Now, how long that was, the Bible doesn't tell. But we know that he was cast out of heaven at that point. And so he began, he, he was able, once man fell, to get access. Why? Because man, by virtue of our promise in Christ, we are seated with him in heavenly places. And so once man allowed his seed to be mingled with the seed of Satan, with, with, not, not physical, people teach this false serpent seed that says that, 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 that Eve ended up having sex with the serpent. That is a, that's erroneous. That's a lie. And so if you've heard those terminologies, don't think that I'm blending those terminologies. But what Satan did was mingled his seed, which was sin with mankind, and it enabled him to have access once again before the throne of God to bring accusations against the brethren. And so he got that, uh, that access, but what we're going to see is, is after man's fall that he had access, but once again we're going to see that he's going to be cast out of that dominion at the end of this age and he's no longer going to be able to accuse the brethren here in chapter 12. And so Michael and his angels uh, cast Satan and his fallen angels out from their heavenly access back at the fall of, uh, excuse me, back at their fall. And so Satan's freedom of movement uh, once again in chapter 12 is going to be confined to the earth. And he's going to see because his time is short. Just three and a half years is all he's going to have when he loses access to uh, as the accuser of the brethren. And so what he's going to do is he's going to confront Israel in really one last-ditch effort to stop his confinement. And, folks, that's really what it's about. 
you know, for us, I, I believe that the worst part about people that are not like us and are going to go to hell, that don't receive Jesus Christ, is just for a moment in time when they stand before the great white throne judgment. They're going to stand literally in the abode of heaven. They're going to see, just for however long of that period is that judgment takes place, they're going to see everything they missed out on. All those atheists that said, I don't believe in Christ, when they look at the nail-scarred hand of that one who's going to be revealed in Revelation chapter 19, they're going to say, I missed it. Can I have another chance? And they're not going to have another chance. Uh, that scientist who says that we came from, uh, uh, we, we came through, through an evolutionary process and that Darwinian type of uh, thought, they're going to see the one that spoke and created the universe. They're going to say, well, can I change my position on that now? And they're not going to get that chance. And so they're going to be in, in the, 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 the presence of the glory of God. God. Folks, listen, some of you guys that have been in the presence of the Lord, you know, man, it is the sweetness. We t- think to ourselves, uh, uh, t- taste and see that I am good. And you think to yourself, God, I want to be in your presence. You read the 51st Psalm where David is saying, created me a clean heart. Uh, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Lord God, how can I, I live another day? Folks, because according to, to 1 Corinthians three sixteen and 17, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember the misery that was in your, your life prior to having the new birth? Do you remember every single day that you got up? What was your hope? Your, your hope was maybe just a fix or, or a satisfying moment in some perverted relationship. Or maybe your fix was, was going to work and, and living the American dream. But when Christ Jesus came into your heart and life and you became a new creature in Christ Jesus, you know what? Your circumstances mattered little. Why? Because you weren't living to be happy. You were living to be holy. And, 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 and in His presence, there's fullness of joy. And people began to say, well, why are you so happy? You say, well, I'm not necessarily happy. I'm joy. And it's not dependent upon my circumstance, but it's dependent upon the promises of God, which are resident inside of me. And so we have that daily. And I think sometimes we forget just how that is. But let the let the Holy Spirit be taken, enter into a wretched uh, state of uh, uh, backsliding and a departure from the faith. And, you know, you'll have people that say, man, I was so miserable. I got so caught up in those things. What's going to happen is why I believe it's going to be so miserable for these folks is they're going to taste that for a moment and they're going to be totally forever separated from God. And the torment, not only is it going to be the, the, the fire and the brimstone and the place where the worm never dies, but the realization of what they could have had, and they rejected it for what they had in a temporal lifestyle. And so Satan himself, listen, he was created. He was that, 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 that anointed cherub that covered. He was that in the presence of God. And you know what? Ever since his fall, he, there's just been that, that repulsive nature. But he's wanted to be in the presence. Even though he knows that judgment's going to come, he's enjoyed that access to come into the presence of God. Even though he accuses. You know why he accuses, folks? Same way you accuse. The same way when you're dealing with something and you're not right with God, what do you want to do? You want to nitpick everybody else around you. You want to nitpick your pastor. You want to nitpick your friends. You want to nitpick the teacher. You want to nitpick your boss. You want to nitpick everybody around you. And you want to begin to say to yourself, well, they're not all that. They're, they're not so spiritual. Well, I saw them do such and such. Did you hear what they did? You know, what you're doing is, once again, you're lining yourself with, with the demonic. And so do not let any evil or repulsive communication come out of your mouth. And so when you align yourself with that type of talk, and it's always just this, well, I'm better than that one, or, or I want to come and accuse that person before God, folks, what you're doing is you're basically aligning yourself with the heart of the devil rather than, than the heart of God. And so we've got to think of the things that are holy and just and pure and righteous. And we've got to let our mouth speak out of the abundance of our heart. But if your heart is a heart of accusation, 
That's all you're ever going to speak. And so what we have here, once again, uh, is at this time in, in chapter 12, uh, Michael's, uh, his angels are going to cast him out, and he's going to relieve, uh, be uh, removed from that access for that final three-and-a-half-year period. And so the devil, Satan, Lucifer, is going to really amp up his efforts in his attack against uh, 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 Israel. And so here again, Satan at this point, is going to assume control of the Antichrist. Literally, a satanic type of incarnation. Folks, with everything that God has, the enemy wants to provide some type of perverse substitute for it. You, you have it with, with love, you have lust. With all these things, you, you have something that he wants. He's, he's full of, of signs and lying wonders. From the very beginning, he wanted to be like the Most High. He wants this invitation. And so, the same thing with the incarnation, with God with us, the Antichrist is going to be the embodiment under possession of Satan. He is going to be a demonic type of incarnation that comes forth at the, uh, at the midpoint of the tribulation. And so up to that point, you've had this individual, this, this Antichrist, who comes forth, and he really, he, he, he has all these type of characteristics, and he's very charismatic, and all these things, and he's under a demonic influence. But I believe up to this three and a half year period, his influence is, is mainly in a secular type of influence. And I think we're going to see this as these remaining chapters unfold. He's going to be demonically influenced by the gods of this world, which are economics, which are politics, which are, all, which are power, which are uh, position. He's going to be very demonically influenced by them. And so he'll come across as probably very ecumenical. He'll come across as, as very uh, 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 welcoming to, uh, to all faiths and all of these type of things. He's going to seem like somebody with a lot of answers. Why? Because... It's the God of this world, which is always deceiving. He's going to tell you, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to fix the financial world crisis. I'm going to fix the, the, the hunger in, in Africa. I'm going to fix these battles. We're not going to do these things any longer. So he's going to come. But at that midpoint, the, the, and he becomes possessed literally through opening himself up to this world system, he's going to become that manifestation of that incarnation of type of Satan. So the resurrected Antichrist here, that's going to come forth, uh, is, is going to basically uh, begin to wreak this habit upon the, uh, the enemy. What's going to be interesting, we get to chapter 13, verse 3, again, that type of, uh, of simulating who Jesus is. Pardon? Yeah, he's going to act as though he's dead. It's going to seem like he suffers some type of severe blow. Whether, it's, whether it really happens or not, really, it's really immaterial to that. But it's going to be like he's going to receive this fatal wound. And so he's going to raise back up. And that's when he's going to go in and defile the temple. And you can see that in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 4. And so when this embodiment of Satan uh, uh, comes in, Israel is going to refuse to worship the Antichrist, who, don't forget, is going to be the incarnation of Satan. And so the Antichrist Christ is going to be enraged against Israel. Why? Because, hey, he's the one that's secured their peace. He's the one that's secured their future. He's the one that, that defended them. He's the one. But he's going to turn upon them, and he's going to set himself up in this abomination of desolation, uh, the final one, and to, uh, demand that he's going to be uh, worshipped in the temple. And so... Satan, indwelling the Antichrist, what he's going to end up doing is he's going to pursue Israel and he's going to basically attempt to exterminate the Jewish people. Folks, listen, the Holocaust, as bad as it was, six million Jews destroyed, there is not going to be a greater time of anti-Semitism than there's going to be in this last three and a half years. Every single thing. You talk about, people think about, if you want to think about the most repulsive, sinister person of all times, people, if, if, uh, if Hitler's not number one, he's in the top two. You know, people think of him on those type of terms. He's 
uh, Hitler's going to look like a choir boy compared to the Antichrist. Literally. I mean, that is the type of sinister, diabolical pursuit he's going to have for these folks. And so he's going to pursue after Israel to exterminate the Jewish people. Basically, you know what he's going to do? Same thing he tried to do from the beginning when Cain killed Abel. He wants to prevent the return of Christ who promised to return when Israel acknowledged him as their Messiah in 23:39 of Matthew, God, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, verse 39. And so what the uh, Antichrist is going to do is once that he's going to say, listen, they're acknowledging not me as Messiah, but him. And so I've got to act upon them real quick. And so you see that in Matthew 23:29. And so at this point, what happens is God, again, intervenes on Israel's behalf. And uh, just like he did uh, 2,000 years ago. And so uh, Jesus warned Israel about this coming day of trial. And it's in Matthew 24, 15 through 21. We talked about that, that abomination of desolation. Now, here's what's going to happen. And I'm giving you kind of an outline of this whole chapter. Then we'll get back into verse 17. What is going to happen is he is literally going to open up the Mount of Olives. And so what that's going to do is that's going to create this pathway, this valley, that's going to allow them a way of escape from this, this pursuing Antichrist and his, his minions. And so that remnant seed of Israel is actually going to be able to pass through this cavern that's opened up in the Mount of Olives. And so they're going to flee into the wilderness of, uh, of, uh, of Judea, which is east of Jerusalem, and God is supernaturally going to preserve them and nourish them, this select group, uh, for 1,260 days or three and a half years. What's that sound like? That sounds like the Exodus, doesn't it? And so in the wilderness, those that have survived this attack basically will come to terms that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. That's when they're going to acknowledge, listen, we, we, we missed it. All of those ones that are saying, listen, he's not it. He's going to be this political figure. The ones that, uh, that, that thought maybe this guy uh, that's, that's coming, fixing everything, maybe that's our Messiah. They're going to find, they're going to understand that Jesus Christ is the only way to their salvation while they're in the wilderness. And, you know, for me, it's so interesting because it is reflective of that of what happened with the experience of Egypt in that Egyptian bondage. You know, they were under an enormous persecution. They were under this this Egyptian system that was such a powerful empire. And but as a result of judgment. As a result of trials, what were they able to do? They were able to flee their captors. And we talked about this when we spoke of the two witnesses. These four type of plagues, which are synonymous with what happened, are going to be things that lead to their departure and the splitting of the Mount of Olives. And so then, think about then with Moses, the Red Sea opened up. Now with Israel in this age before the return, what happens? The Mount of Olives opens up. Then Moses was a key player and God's voice for the hour. But now, Moses again, this time he's not joined by Aaron, but he's joined by the prophet Elijah, is going to be the key player and the voice of righteousness. And so, both times, Israel is fleeing into the wilderness for a period of time, wherein they are uh, uh, really prepared to enter into the promised land that he has for them. And so, that 40 years that uh, he gave them in the wilderness was just a foreshadowing of this three and a half years, this 1260 days, which is going to happen in that last period of time, preparing a group, a remnant, a seed that's going to enter into the promised land. Now, here's another good parallel for you. Joshua was the one that did what? Led them... Across the River Jordan. What was the River Jordan? It was the time it was where Jesus, we talked about this before, where they drew the reeds out and they began to measure the temple. River Jordan was a place where Jesus was baptized. What river did Joshua lead them across after the Red Sea excursion? Across the River Jordan. 
That was a type of baptism when they took the covenant upon their shoulders and they walked across. Cross. And so Joshua was the one leading them uh, into their promised land following the Exodus. And his name means Jehovah is salvation. Joshua meant Jehovah's salvation. And it's the exact Hebrew uh, word that we get the name Jesus from. And so whether we have Joshua, whether we have Yeshua, whether we have Jesus, folks to a Jewish person that speaks Hebrew, that's all the exact same name. We've just changed up. So if, if you've got a child named Joshua, as Pastor Sam does, that's the exact same name for Jesus. Uh, Jesus, Jehovah, God is our salvation. So look at those those parallels. And so he's going to lead them through that type of baptism where they receive Christ in this uh, to the Mount of Olives, which, interesting enough, is where he's going to what come down and set his feet upon the Mount of Olives at his return just prior to the millennial reign. And so set all that to kind of set up, give you a kind of a snapshot of what we're going to get into with even more detail as we start looking at chapter uh, 12, verse 17. So, verse 17 says this. It says, There appeared a great wonder in heaven. It was a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Some of yours might say diadem or whatever, but it's twelve stars. And so, in the, in the Revelation, you write this down, there's four women that are going to be introduced and presented. And, and two of them we've already looked at. Uh, uh, one we're going to look at now, and one we'll look at later. And so the first woman that's introduced was Jezebel. Remember her back in chapter 2, verse 20? And Jezebel represented, she was the high priestess of paganism. The high priestess of paganism. Folks, paganism is a a belief system that basically just rejects uh, all out the the God that we serve. It's It's an earth God. It's a mother nature. It's a paganism. So if you meet people that are like tarot card readers or things of that type of thing, witches, that's paganism. They, they disbelieve in the gods and all of these things and that they have this power that they can kind of extract from the universe and God can be your tree or whatever else. That's paganism. So Jezebel was the high priest of, uh, priestess of paganism. The, uh, another woman we haven't been introduced yet is going to be chapter 17, and it's the scarlet woman. The scarlet woman. And she represents the high priestess of apostasy. And so we're in paganism... Basically denies God, denies uh, the, the way that we know God, denies Jesus Christ, denies all of that. Apostasy will incorporate what we believe into their abominations. And so you see apostasy in things like the Catholic Church. You see it in the Mormon Church. You see it in Jehovah's Witnesses. You see it in Sanctoria. You see it in all these things that want to incorporate some of the type of terminologies. But it's really, it's, it's, it's apostasy is what it is because it wants to be another gospel. It's what, uh, the, what Paul the Apostle warned the church in Galatia at and what John uh, warned them concerning the Gnostics in 1 John as well. So the scarlet woman, the high priestess of apostasy. Then what you see in, 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 in chapter 10, verse 7, is you see the Lamb's wife, that blood-bought church or the true church. That's the third woman. Then the fourth woman is what we have right here. You see the woman clothed with the sun. And this woman here that we're talking about now clearly is representative of Israel. And so who is the woman clothed with the sun? It is Israel. Why do I say that? Well, I'm glad you asked because Isaiah chapter 66, verse 7 and 8. Isaiah 66, verse 7 and 8 says this. It says, Before she travailed, she brought forth Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child who had heard such a thing, who had seen such things. 
Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Folks, you know what? This is a prophecy right here in Isaiah 66, 7 and 8. Really the final prophecy that needed to be fulfilled before the unfolding of events that we're not only seeing here in, in the book of the Revelation, but we're getting to live. And it is that bringing forth of a nation in a day. Think for just a second. The nation of Israel did not exist after its fall in 70 A.D. Up until 1948, when after World War II, the United Nations came together and they gave them that plot of land that they now occupy, uh, in addition to, obviously, the Gaza Strip and the Golan Heights and those other areas that, uh, never, that weren't initially ceded to them, but came about as a result of the Seven Day War in 1967. And so, uh, it, it was prophesied, uh, that these things would, would happen. And so, we, we, we see that that nation came together in a day. A nation that did not exist, all of a sudden, once they signed that paper, they made that decree, a nation that did not exist for 2,000 years. Folks, I'm not talking about a country that was occupied by the Soviet Union for 50 or 60 years that finally got to be uh, Kazakhstan again or it got to be the Ukraine again when it formerly was only known as the, the, the Soviet Union. I'm talking about a nation that did not exist for 2,000 years. Folks, those things in the natural, even on the, the geopolitical landscape, do not happen. If you've been out of business for 2,000 years, chances are you're going to stay out of business, except for what? That prophetic word that he's the Lord God, he does not change, he does not lie, his promises are yes and amen. But because he made a covenant with Abraham that through your seed, through the people of Israel, through the Jewish people, he said, what am I going to do? I'm going to bring forth that Messiah. I'm going to bring forth that redemption. I'm going to get God is faithful concerning his promises. He's not slack as some men count slackness. And so, but what did God have to do? He had to raise them up in one solitary day in that nation. Now, you know what, folks? We are looking at the tail end of that, that generation that has brought forth these people that are going to be representative of this last day's folks that are fleeing from Israel through this great crevasse that was made uh, through this uh, uh, this hole put in the, the Mount of Olives. And so this woman is really, this whole drama that's unfolding is kind of demonstrates uh, to be Israel, uh, which was, once again, don't forget, the seed bearer of Messiah, the one that's going to usher in Messiah, that brought forth Messiah through uh, through uh, the, the womb of Mary when, when she was hovered over by the Holy Spirit, and he placed that, that, that seed in her. And through him, through Jesus Christ, that uh, who the child has entered into this world through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so chapter 12 has this woman who gives birth to this male child, this man-child. The child is caught up to heaven to rule the nations with an iron scepter, a rod of iron. And that red dragon with seven heads and ten crowns pursues after this woman. And so the male child with the iron scepter is referring to the Messiah, who is Jesus. And so we have the woman who's been revealed. There is a great wonder in heaven. There's a woman clothed with sun. And moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And the woman, being with child, cried, travailing in birth. The woman, the child was Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was became came out of the seed of Israel. Folks, in Psalm two and nine, Psalm two and nine, talking about this one that's going to rule with a rod of iron. Jesus, the Messiah, the King, is pictured basically ruling the earth with a rod of iron. And so the Messiah is also going to rule over all the nations. If you'll remember back when we talked about the church at Thyatira in Revelation 2.27, uh, 
that church at Thyatira was told that that, that that remnant, that small group from them, is going to reign with Christ with a rod of iron. And so this male child is obviously uh, is um, is Jesus Christ, wherein the woman was Israel, the one that would bring forth that Jewish people that would bring forth the birth of the Messiah. And so the picture of the dragon is obviously representation of Satan and his efforts to, uh, to basically prevent Messiah's birth throughout history. We'll talk about that in a little bit more detail here in a bit if we have time today. And so a lot of people thought, the, they've said, and I've read these things, they thought that the Messiah might be the church, which cannot be that. And you'll try to interpret it since the church did not bring Christ into the world. But what happened? Christ brought the church into the world. But people teach that. Many Catholics will say when they read this 12th chapter, they'll say that that's, that, that woman there was Mary. That she's, she's the one that, that, uh, that, that came forth. She was the great wonder in heaven. But obviously the woman cannot be married because after the birth, it says that the woman here is pursued by the dragon for three and a half years. And that didn't obviously happen to Mary. And so you know, you'll hear people say that it, maybe it was the church or maybe it was Mary. Uh, folks, that just, there's just not a shred of biblical evidence for those things. And to say that, basically it's just uh, trying to uh, get some type of inductive type of thinking in order to prove a point that is pointless in regards to the Scripture. And so the child uh, is Christ, the woman is Israel. And, and it talks about then the stars. And those stars that are upon his head represent the twelve tribes of Israel. And really, this is mirrored, if we go back again, let's go back all the way to Genesis. Now, I love tying in Revelation and Genesis. Why? Because with God, everything is seen in the now. It's encapsulated snapshot. And you see that the, the things that he gave from the very beginning. And so it wasn't like he waited, you know, five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred, a thousand, twelve hundred years or whatever to start giving these revelations. What, if we'll just go back to the first book, when you begin to read the book of Genesis, you say, oh, now that I've read Revelation, I've studied it. Yeah, I can see all those things. So it wasn't a great mystery. If people just would have had eyes to see and ears to hear, they'd understand exactly God's plan throughout the ages. And so that's mirrored, this, this whole 12 tribes of Israel is mirrored in Joseph's dream. Remember Joseph's dream in, uh, in Genesis chapter 37, verses 9 and 10, where uh, the son of Jacob is pictured as the stars, or the sons of Jacob pictured as stars, and the moon and sun are Jacob and, 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 and Rachel. Let me just read it to you, Genesis 37 and 9. Speaking of Joseph... Who was a type of Christ? What did Joseph do? He was rejected of his brothers, right? What was Jesus done? He was rejected of his, his brethren. He was uh, cast into prison. What happened to Jesus? Cast into prison, etc. It's never complained. Uh, you never hear Joseph griping about it. Well, Jesus, he's led like a lamb to the slaughter. He never opened his mouth. He never complained. Now listen to what happened in Genesis 37, 9. And it says, He dreamed yet another dream. This is Joseph. And told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have a dream once more. And behold, the sun and moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. The twelfth star would have been him. And so all these things are going to bow down. They're going to, and so this same picture is what we're getting. So Joseph even got to see his life as a foreshadowing of the coming Messiah and of this bowing down and the, the power that's going to be unfolded in the last, uh, of, in the last days. And so the first prophecy Though, folks, of the coming uh, Messiah, of this messianic redemption, of the deliverer over Israel, really started out in Genesis. Do you realize that? It started out with Eve, or her seed, or the serpent, uh, or, or her seed was going to crush what? The head of the serpent, or of sin. And so, look at this. I want to give you this prophecy uh, in this. And so, in this prophecy, back to Genesis as well, Eve is the prototype of Israel. And so, it, you can put down your notes, 
Eve was a prototype of Israel, and, and which is pictured obviously right here in the 12th chapter of the book of the Revelation. And so through Eve, the woman, which will become Israel, comes into existence to do what? To bear the male seed who would become the Messiah, Jesus, that's going to redeem what Adam and Eve lost as a result of the serpent's deception or his seed of sin. And so the serpent, which was then the incarnation of an animal by Satan, it, it deceived the woman to disobey God. And look what it said in Genesis 3.15. He said, I will put enmity between you and woman and between your seed and her seed. Her seed was that procreation that would bring forth children that would eventually become Israel, that would eventually bring forth Jesus as the Messiah. His seed was the seed of sin, which he has continued to try to co-mingle with the seed of God's people for years and years and years. Do you see that? And it says, he will bruise your head, but you will bruise or to crush. Uh, he will, uh, you will bruise or crush his head, and he will bruise his heel. And so what this is, is that's a foreshadowing of that hatred, that enmity between the woman, that seed of Israel and uh, the, the seed of the enemy, which is sin, who's tried to wreak destruction for, forever upon the serpent's seed, which eventually obviously become the Antichrist. But the Messiah would bruise. He would break. He would crush. He would cover the head of Satan. However, it says that Satan would bruise him or the Messiah would have to suffer. And so you see the bruising of Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. And so the first prophecy of the Messiah was right there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Looking at the seed of man that was going to bring forth the son of man versus the seed of Satan, which is, the, which is sin, which would eventually bring forth this Antichrist. And so this woman who gives birth to this man-child, is, it says it's taken into the desert for 1,260 days, uh, three and a half years. And really, basically, to protect it from the dragon, and that's in uh, uh, Revelation twelve six. And so, the twelve hundred sixty days, basically, what they do is they involve Israel, the bearer of the Messiah, and really the whole uh, struggle that that that, that, that the nation is going to have against Satan in the second half of this tribulation period. And it says, and there appeared a woman, a uh, wonder in heaven, a woman uh, clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars, and she being with Child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. She being with child. The child that she was with is the Messiah. And the description of a child being caught up into heaven, basically we saw a minute ago to rule the nations uh, with an iron scepter. It's the Messiah. We saw it in Psalms chapter 2, verse 9. But look what it says. She being in travail. Folks, think about how it's pained Israel to bring forth the Messiah. It, it was because he didn't look the way they thought he should look. He didn't come out the way he thought he should come out. He didn't act the way they thought he should act. He didn't do it. So it's been a great pain. Now think about this. Think about the pain that Israel has faced for the last 2,000 years. Every time that they run across Christians that, that talk about, hey, we're praying for the peace of Jerusalem. One day your Messiah is going to come back and he's going to be Jesus. You, you know that they think to themselves, who do these people think we are? They, so they would have to come to the acknowledgement or the pain of saying, you know what, you guys have been right. These uncircumcised Philistines, these Gentiles, these heathens, were smarter than we are. 
but it's pained them. And so what's happened for 2,000 years, they've hardened themselves. They've hardened themselves so much against their Messiah that literally, if you run into most Jews, they've hardened themselves even against the, the prophets of old who prophesied of the Messiah. You ask them about the law of Moses, most of them don't know anything. So they've had to adopt, and we've talked about this, all this rabbinical teaching and all this law that's kind of pseudo-Judaism, uh, uh, but it really doesn't adhere to the promises. You, you take them to the Psalms and show them the Messianic prophecies of Psalms 22. They don't want to hear it. You took them to, take them to the book of Isaiah and you show them the, the Messianic prophecies of Isaiah chapter 9 and, 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 and uh, 53. You show them all these things that are throughout the Word of God. Take them to Daniel. Take them to, obviously back here to Genesis. It pains them. It's a travail. And so this woman has been with travail for these 2,000 years once they rejected the, the Messiah and she cried out. And so the process, though, of bringing forth this Messiah has also put them in precarious situations. And I don't have time to get into this chart that I have here for you, but we're going to look at the context of this, this verses throughout history. We're going to go all the way back to the conflict and the travail from Cain and Abel, uh, mankind falling, Abraham and Sarah, uh, Dinah and Shechem, Moses and Pharaoh, Queen Esther. We're going to show you how all of these things were a part of that travail that brought forth the Messiah. But we don't have time for that today, but we're going to have time tomorrow as we'll be back here, should the Lord tarry, uh, another 24 hours. But folks, listen, I wanted to say something quickly to you today. If, if you're hearing this and you're thinking to yourself, man, who is this Messiah? It's Jesus. Maybe you, you're of the Jewish faith. Folks, listen, uh, the, the, the Christian, the genuine Christian church is not against you. Well, because we, we see a promise that God has for you. But the bottom line is, uh, your Judaism will never get you to heaven. It'll never get you in the promise of God. God has been faithful to your nation, to your people, uh, to that faith. He, to, to constantly uh, bring you back to him. But the thing about it is, if you are, you consider yourself a Jew today, Jesus is not the Christian Messiah. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. We just got the benefit of your rejection. And I pray, I personally praise God for it because it was extended to me. And I can sit here and have salvation today because Jesus came as your Messiah and you rejected him. And so he opened up the, 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 the opportunity for us to become a part of the new covenant. But listen, it's not too late for you. If you'll come to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you'll come to Yeshua Mashiach, the Jesus, your Messiah, uh, he'll receive you. And that doesn't mean that you'll stop being a Jew. No, that just means that you'll be a Jew that has already received their, their Savior, and you won't have to go through this travail that we're talking about here in this these last seven years that are ordained to bring you back to him. So you're going to come to him sooner or later. And you're either going to come, the, the, the New Testament says that one day every knee is going to bow, whether it's in heaven or earth or under the earth, and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you, as a Jew, are either going to do it in rebellion, Unfortunately, on your way to hell and to eternal separation, or you're going to do it in faith and in righteousness into that place that God had ordained for you from the time that Abram was called out of Ur of the Chaldees and became Abraham and the father of many nations. What do you do? Get you a Bible, go to the New Testament, look in Romans chapter 10. Uh, matter of fact, just read the whole book of Romans, which Paul the Apostle, who was Saul of Tarsus, which was a Jew who came to the Lord Jesus Christ, wrote. Get the book of Romans. It'll tell you that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it'll also tell you that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua, Mashiach, Jesus Christ is, is Lord and Savior, that you'll be saved as well. If you've got questions about that, email me, raven at biggrace.com. And if you want to hear it all from the Old Testament, 
All from your books. I'll show you from the books of your prophet exactly what I'm telling you from the books of the New Covenant as well. I'm Pastor Troy Raven at BigGrace.com. Love to answer your questions. If you've got prayer requests, send those to pray at BigGrace.com. First, we got to go today, but I've got one bit of advice for you. Get into God's Word, and God's Word will get into you.